Good evening. We'll begin with a Perik Tehillim, and uh, it will be worth our while that we got together this evening just to say a Perik Tehillim, if we would comprehend the effect of one little Perik Tehillim, we'd appreciate it. I'll tell you just something that I heard from Rabbi Yoshiv, the Chetzadik Kodesh Livrocha. He said that he was asked, is it any use that ladies, you know, say Tehillim, you know, while they watch the kids and while they're busy in the kitchen, while they're running here and on the bus and they're on the work, the way to work, the way from work. They kind of... It doesn't seem to be that they're saying Tehillim with such great intention. Is it any use that way, to be saying Tehillim this way? So the Rav answered, he said, there are certain things that one does need to have full intention for, but Tehillim is not one of those things. David Melech put all the intentions necessary into the words, into every letter of the Tehillim. So say Tehillim wherever you are, however you are, with whatever amount of intention that you can put to it, but don't worry about it. I'll tell you a true Tehillim story. There was a lady that was driving into Yerushalayim. She was on the main road. And uh, suddenly she, there was a traffic, the traffic all stopped. Well, she did what she usually did in such a situation. Maybe there's an accident. So she reached for the glove compartment. She took out a Sefer Tehillim that she kept there. And she went about saying Tehillim. Eventually, after quite a long time, the traffic did start moving again. And as she's driving past, she sees there's ambulances there and that there really had been an accident. Okay. She told nobody about this. It wasn't something so irregular. This, often there's lots of traffic on the way into Yerushalayim. Anyway, about three months later, she was at a PTA meeting at her child's school. And... A woman comes up to her and uh, says, could I speak to you? She didn't know the woman. She recognized her from the neighborhood. So the woman came up to her and they sat in a quiet place out in the corner. And the woman said, I just wanted to say thank you to you. Thank you to me, maybe you, you've got the wrong lady. Uh, I don't know, you know, what are you saying thank you about? She says, no, no, it's you. Well, I'll tell you, this is what happened. Is it true that you were, a few months ago, you were driving into Yerushalayim and there was a, the traffic all stopped and you were saying to Hilim? She said, uh, yes, I do that every time. <laughs> but, but why are you asking? She says, well... I was in the, traf <coughs> the traffic accident. I had a clinical death, she said. And when, as we know, this is documented by millions of people who have had clinical deaths, they all report the same report. The soul leaves the body, and then from above, they can see the body, etc. She says, well, my soul was above my body. I was very badly injured, as we said, a clinical death. And uh, as I was being carried on the stretcher, 
to the ambulance, there were words of Tehillim that were coming out from your car. That's how I recognize you. And they were pushing my soul back into my body. As you see, I'm a miracle. I'm all fine today. But I wanted to thank you for saying Tehillim. Rabbi Yoshif says the following, that we're in a very historic time now. We're at the end of a Shemitah period. That's historic. It only happens once every seven years. So there is a, a law that at the end of the seventh year, they used to read the Torah for everybody. Only every seven years this was done. For men, women, children, for everybody had to listen by Akel to listen to the Torah being read. So Rabbi Yoshev explained the following. He said, seven years is about a tenth of a person's life. A lifespan is called 70 years. That's a lifespan. Some of you merits more than that. Lucky them, but that's a lifespan. So a tenth of a lifespan, that's every seven years, is a time of reckoning. And everybody has to analyze where are they holding in their relationship with God in the relationship with Hashem. In Tehillim we say, Perikuf Membet, we say the following, Hotsia mi mazger nafshi. Hashem, we ask, take me out of this jail. We know that the soul is inside the body. So the soul is kind of inside a jail. We are looking to get close to Hashem. That's what we were put in this world to do. And we're in this jail called body. Take me out of this jail, we ask Hashem. There was a cute incident. A certain librarian was sleeping after a hard day's work in the library. And at uh, three in the morning, the phone rang. Well, must be something very urgent. Woke her up, she answers the phone. And a very sweet voice at the end of the phone says, if you don't mind, could you tell me what time does the library open in the morning? What a chutzpah. Can you believe this? Waking me up at three in the morning to ask me such a question. What's the matter with you? What's your, where's your manners? What a chutzpah this is. Anyway, at 10 o'clock, she slams the phone down. She tries to go back to sleep. She manages to fall back asleep. Lo and behold, at five in the morning, the phone rings again. She wakes up, she answers the phone, yes, and it's that same sweet voice. This time the voice is asking her, sorry, do you mind, is it possible to open the library a little earlier this morning? I can't believe this. It's such a chutzpah I've never heard of. You know what? I'm going to make sure that you won't be let into the library this morning. Sorry, madam, but I don't want to get into the library. I'm looking to get out of the library. Hotsiyami mazger nafshi, we ask Hashem, help us to get close to you. That's really what we want to do. So we've got this amazing present we got called tshuva, repentance. It's like a delete button, erase. You press the button, 
and all our sins just disappear. Some of them even become mitzvahs. They even get rewards, some ultimately. There's just one little condition, and that is that there are four major aspects of repentance of tshuva. And these are azivatachet, leaving the sin. In other words, not doing, getting away from it. You can't keep stealing and say, so, you know, I'm repenting for stealing if you keep stealing, so, so don't steal. You have to leave the sin, the transgression. Two, after leaving the sin, you have to be sorry that you, look, Hashem told you not to do that misdeed, and, and you did it. So to be sorry, charota, to be sorry. Three, vidui, to confess. You don't need any person to confess to. It's only talking to confess to Hashem. To say it, it's quite hard sometimes to say, Ashamnu, Bagadnu. Yeah, nobody likes to say he's a criminal and to confess it being a criminal, right? So it's not so comfortable doing so, but we need to. But it's between us and Hashem. That's confession. And finally, Kabbalah Latid. Taking on for the future, accepting not to transgress this transgression again. So again, as we heard, taking on various ways and means and tricks in, that they are to try and see not to do that again. So if you've been yelling at your kids ten times a day, take on to yell at them only nine times a day. Gavaldik, for that one time, that's Kabbalah Latit. I'm going to make sure it's only going to be nine times, not going to be ten times. Whatever it is that we left, we're sorry for, we confessed, take on not to do that again. Now, Ravid Yashiv gives insight into how do we go about this repentance, this tshuva. And he says the following. You know, we say a brocha, a blessing for tshuva, three times a day in Shmon Esrei. There's a brocha of tshuva. It's very strange beginning that brocha has. The brocha begins, the blessing begins... Hashem, bring us back to your Torah. And then it goes on. And then it goes, And help us come back to you by, re by repenting. Strange. If this is the blessing, the brocha for tshuva, why does it start with bring us close to your Torah? There's not a blessing of Torah, it's a blessing of tshuva. We're making a brocha to chozer b'tshuva, to make, to repent. Why does it start that way? And Rav Yoshi explains the chazal, because there is no way to make tshuva if we don't know that we're doing something wrong. <laughs> so first we have to ask Hashem to bring us close to Torah, to learn the laws. If we don't know what you're allowed and not allowed to speak, how can we make... Tshuva, how can we repent on speech that wasn't correct when we didn't learn the laws of speech? If we don't know the laws of Taharat HaMishpacha, how can we repent not observing them properly? If we don't know the laws of modesty, how do we know, how can we repent on not observing the laws of modesty? If we don't know the laws of Shabbat, how can we repent on not keeping them properly? So our first step in repentance is to take upon ourselves to learn the laws. Hashivenu avinu secha. That's a real step. There's so many laws to the Shabbos laws. You're going to learn a few laws every Shabbat, every week. There's so many laws of Shemiras Aloshan, of guarding our tongue. You're going to learn, as we heard, two halachas a day. You can get through the whole 
the whole book in a year that way, a few times even in a year. They're, they're, in order to chazer v'tshuva, we have to first know the laws. So that's why the brocha of tshuva begins, hashiveinu avinu secha. Now, Rabbein Yona explains, he's got a whole sefer, sharei tshuva, how do you make tshuva? But the first principle he makes is that we were sent to this world, we aren't who we're seeing here. This is just the bodies. We're actually souls. Think of it. If the souls would leave, we'd all run out of here, right? So we're not really bodies. A body is just the garment that's covering our souls. So we're really souls. We were sent here from the upper worlds for plus minus 120 years for a job. What's our job? Rabbi Yonah explains it very clearly. Our job is to keep Torah and mitzvahs. That's the job that we were given. That's all. Simple. Simple job. That's the purpose of our being in this world, to keep Torah and mitzvahs. Okay, wonderful. Simple. But here's where the buts come in. I mean, you've got to give the Yetzirah a job, otherwise it's going to be no challenge, right? We're going to have to make choices. And we are one of the buts, but we've got excuses. Come on, you can't expect that of me, my, my background, my lack of education, my parents. That's wonderful. It's called shifting blame. Yeah, it's a very good excuse. But, yeah, my mommy used to lose her temper, so I lose my temper too, yeah? Uh, wonderful. All this doesn't exist, all this shifting blame, all this blame, I wish I were, doesn't exist. It won't work. It won't work for any of us. We aren't going to be able to come up with self-righteous answers, excuses for our sins. Because Hashem gave us a Torah to live by that we are able to keep. So, but what about but, uh, but my education, my background, my character traits? These sound good excuses. Rav Shimshon Hirsch answers this so clearly. I'm going to translate. He says as follows. No, that Hashem intended you to be born exactly at the time when you were born, in the environment within which you were born, to the parents who gave birth to you, and all the circumstances surrounding that. Hashem will see to it in your life that you will meet certain people. Hashem will give you teachers from whom you will learn. He will give you friends with whom you will become friendly. Hashem will give you the strengths, physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual, in the measure exactly needed by you for your fulfilling your job in this world. Hashem will put you in this world in certain circumstances that are unique to you. Kol Eile, all of this together, is for you the exact perfect tools for you to reach your goal, your tachlis, that you were sent to this world to fulfill. According to fulfill the will of Hashem. And within these, with these tools, within these circumstances, lies your success. 
certain rabbi asked Rav Steinman Schlitter. He asked him, is it worth it? I travel very far. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of time. It's a very big effort for me to go all over the country, traveling far, to go and give a little chug bite with maybe two people there, two or three people, to give a little lecture. He's teaching Yiddishkeit to Jews all over the country. So he asked Rashtan, is it worth the effort just for two, three people? So Rav Steinman answered him, he said, certainly, but he gave two reasons. One, you know what it is to save one Jew? To save someone spiritually is saving the person's this world and the next world. You know what it is to save one Jew? But he said further than that. He said, you're not, there's not only saving one Jew. You're saving Klal Yisrael. Why Klal Yisrael? Where's Klal Yisrael in the two, three people? And he explained, he said, because perhaps one of the two people within him is hiding Moshiach ben David. Because every Jew is suspect of being the future, next generation's Godelador. Every Jew is a shining diamond. So we're all shining diamonds. We're going to have to grow taller. We have to appreciate that we're, every single Jew is a shining diamond. You know, today, there are all programs around the world in order to interest Jews who are not familiar with anything Jewish at all, to introduce them to something you know, about Judaism. So there are many programs. Today, literally, students are paid to come to hear a few hours of Yiddishkeit a week. They're paid. And for a student, $100 a month is a fortune. And that's how some of the, uh, our brethren who are removed from Yiddishkeit are introduced to something Jewish in this way. That's the program. It exists thousands of students around the world. Now, in one of these programs, this took place in Eretz Israel. One of these programs, a young Avrech, a young rabbi, was going to be the teacher. Every student gets somebody who's going to teach him and going to learn with. And to one of these programs, one yeah, student comes sauntering into his, uh, to his uh, mentor, to the rabbi who's going to be teaching him, and he, he's very, he's very uh, forthright about it, more honest maybe than everybody, and he says, look, I just want to tell you before we begin, I'm here just for the money. I'm not interested in all this, you know, you're going to teach me and that. I'm here for the money, you know. Students are poor, $100 a month, so I'm here for the money. It could be that many of the students feel that way, but he was very forthright about it before they began. But this young Avrek, the young rabbi, doesn't show that he's got any, doesn't make him nervous at all. He just says, well, you're here anyway, let's learn. The instructions are, as Rabbi Yoshif said, lechaber Mara, connect him to Yiddishkeit, to Torah. He's never seen a Dafgamara in his life. In Eretz Yisrael, it's easier. They know the language. They know Hebrew. Otherwise, you have to use translations. So he starts learning with him. And they're learning. And they're learning. And they're learning. And this young Avrech can't believe it. This boy, with his jeans and his earrings and his ponytail to his waist, he's never seen a Daf Gomorrah in his life. But he's asking kashas of Rabbi Akiva Eger. He's asking very sophisticated questions. It just doesn't make sense. Comes to the next session, 
And it's even more so. Eventually, at the third session, he says to him, tell me, who are you? So he tells him, I said, what's your name? So he tells him a modern Hebrew name. He says, no, who are you from home? What's your background? Where, where's your family from, etc." He doesn't know. He says, okay, I'll ask my mother. I'll ask my father. Come, if you're so curious, I'll, I'll tell you. Comes back to the session after that, and he says, my father said you'd recognize the name. He said, he's a son after son after son to somebody called Akiva Eger. And my mother said you'd also recognize the name. She said she's a direct descendant of somebody called Shimshon Raphael Hirsch. Rabbi said, we all have yechas. You should just know that that young uh, fellow didn't have a chance in the heavens there. His uh, ancestors were working very hard over time, and it didn't take long for him to become uh, a Jew as a Jew is meant to look. But we all have yechas. There isn't a Jew or Jewess who doesn't have yechas. We all come from Avram and Sarah. We're all daughters, children of Akarosh Baruch Hu. So I don't know why we're all sitting here. We should be dancing. Where's the music? What's going on? What a simcha it is. Do we realize who we are? What our potential is? Where we come from, where we are going to. So what do we actually, what does Hashem really want for us? We said to keep the mitzvahs. That's all. Simple as all that. But how do we keep focusing on this great joy? Well, focusing on the good that we have, because everyone has difficulties. Challenges and tests and trials are part of life. We are not in Gan Eden. We are not in the Garden of Eden, in case we thought we were. This world is not Gan Eden. This world is called Navatatlaot, the world of struggles. Because Hashem, on purpose, gives us challenges in order to raise us. He knows we can do something simple. But he'll give us a challenge to see that we'll rise to the challenge. And Nisayon, a challenge, comes from the word nais, like the, like the flag on the top of a ship. It raises us, you know, it's brought down that if a person doesn't get a challenge every 30 days or so, he should start wondering, did Hashem forget me? We pray that Nisyonis, the challenges should be small ones. We ask Hashem they shouldn't be too big for us, but no challenge is ever given to a person that is too big for him, believe it or not. We sometimes feel too big for us, can't handle this. But there isn't such a principle. There's a principle. Hashem gives a challenge exactly suited for that individual to grow from. And Hashem doesn't give us challenges because he doesn't like us. He gives us challenges because he loves us, because he wants us to grow, because he is the all good. And the good, the nature of good is to give. And he wants to give us. He wants to give us reward for eternity. But he doesn't want us to get a free reward up there. He wants us to earn a reward. You feel much better when you earn something than if you get a free a free handout. So he gives us this world with challenges so we can earn a reward for eternity. So any challenge is given to us by Hashem and it's given for our good, for our benefit. Now, there's one type of simcha that is greater than all kinds of simchas, one kind of joy that is so enormous, so great, and that is the joy of repentance. Think about it. When we repent... As we said, four steps of repentance. We somehow come out of it with such a feeling that, of joy that is something that cannot be described. 
It's the feeling we can't come out of Yom Kippur with. There's a tremendous feeling of joy. Now, there's a reason for this. What is this reason that we feel so joyful, so happy, a real deep happiness when we repent? We did something wrong and we repent on it. Why do we feel so happy? There's a reason. And the reason is because we made a change. We made a change. Come, let's take a lady example. It applies to all of us. You know, the Vilna Gaon says that for men, the biggest challenge in this world is they have an obligation to learn Torah, not only to keep mitzvahs and to learn the Torah of the mitzvahs in order to keep them. That ladies are also obligated. They have to keep all the mitzvahs they have to keep. So women have to learn all the, all the laws that are, and all the Torah that applies to the mitzvahs they have to keep. There's no other way of keeping mitzvahs unless we... Uh, unless you know what they, what they are. So that's the learning of Torah, everybody. But men have a specific um, mitzvah commandment, and they give din v'cheshbon after 120 years of, of wasting time in any, free, any time that they can't account for that was used for some other purpose, yeah, earning a living, talking to their wife, whatever it is, yeah, being nice to their children, whatever other kind of things they have to do, but otherwise they, they give din v'cheshbon on, on waste of time of not learning Torah. Man has an obligation to learn Torah. Don't envy men. They have a big challenge. But ladies, the parallel to this for ladies is, so ladies need to learn all the Torah that's applicable to them. That's Hashkofa and that's all the halochas that there's, there's, there's such a lot out there that we don't even begin, right? But ladies have a parallel to the learning of Torah. By men, the Vilna Gon says, is the mitzvah of modesty. What's the connection? We always think that modesty is, or you're modest, or you're not modest, or that what you're wearing is okay. Well, it's not okay, but what do you mean a, a lifetime? So obviously it's something that there's growth. There's a place for growth. We all can grow. Till 120, there's where to grow. I recall one lady. She was 77 at the time. She used to keep Shabbat, and she used to keep uh, all her life, and she kept uh, Shabbos. She had never heard of the mitzvah, of modesty. She'd never heard of it. She says, that's, uh, you don't, if you don't trip on something to read about it or hear about it, she just never heard of it. So she wore whatever it was. Yeah, she had nice taste and she whatever that was fashionable in the stores, that's what she bought and that's what she wore. She never heard of the mitzvah of modesty. At the age of 77, she went to a lecture and the mitzvah of modesty was brought up. But there's such a commandment that there are parts of a woman's body that should not be seen by men, and that uh, they are meant to cover them. Never heard of that. Never heard of such a thing. She heard. She internalized. She then took her whole wardrobe, woman of 77, a very prominent woman, the prominent profession, many friends, many relatives. She was an, uh, a woman that wasn't in hiding. It was obvious to all her surroundings, not a simple thing to do at the age of 77. She gave her whole wardrobe to a dressmaker. She told her to buy material to cover the parts where it's, the, if it's the length of the sleeves, if it's the length of the hem, if it's whatever has to be done, and if it can't be fixed, to take it away, give it to somebody who maybe it would fit or get rid of it. At the age of 77, bare cupboards until the dressmaker came back with everything and then she had to face society 
like with an, another look. She like looked funny. She was known for 77 years with a different look. This lady lived for another three years in this world. You can imagine the applause she got when she got upstairs. It's a big godless. It's a big mysterious nefesh. But if this is the mitzvah, the mitzvah of modesty is the parallel to the mitzvah of learning Torah, so we've got to pay some attention to it. First of all, we've got to learn the laws. If we don't know the laws, we aren't going to be able to And then, at whatever pace we're able to take it, everybody's got their pace. Uh, sometimes it's a step forward and two steps back. Don't worry about it. It's also okay. We're all humans. Hashem didn't put us here to be malochim. Yeah, we're meant to just keep moving. Just keep trying. Hashem wants to see effort. Don't worry about where we get to. Effort, that we are making an effort to dress that will find favor in the eyes of Hashem rather than our friends or the street or whatever other people we are looking to find favor in because in the end, that's who it counts. You know, one of the ways that we arouse Hashem's mercy on us when it comes to Yemei Adin, one of the ways is by doing chesed, but doing acts of kindness, because then our Hashem can respond in kindness. You know, we say Yud Gimel Midas, now we say it already in Slichas, etc. Yud Gimel Midas are the 13 attributes of mercy of Hashem. And based on these 13 attributes that we say, Hashem, Hashem, there's the Posuk in Micha, that from there the Tomer Dvorah, the Ramak, of Moshe Cardovero, he elaborates on these 13 uh, Midas, uh, explaining that just like Hashem is merciful and he has, is tolerant, etc., et so we must be like that with people. We must be kind, we must be patient, etc. It's brilliant work. There's a big Indian to learn at Afkin in this month of Elul. And uh, there's a, it's a principle that if we are meant to copy Hashem's attributes to the best of our ability, it's a lifetime of work, obviously. Now, this chesed, when we do chesed for someone, this brings down... Hashem to see, you do chesed, Hashem tzilcha, it says in Tehillim. Hashem is your shadow, just like we behave in this world, Hashem will behave with us. He's like our shadow, you know how the shadow, the man moves his hand, the shadow will move as well. So like we behave with others, so Hashem will behave with us. Because everything works by din, but it's more rare is the rachamim of Hashem when we do chesed. Do you know that the biggest chesed a woman can do is to make sure men are not looking at her? It's not so simple, but it's a whole different look. It's a different approach. So when we leave our house, we're going to think in a different, with a different head. So learning about the subject is going to allow us to step forward in the right direction. Now, We said that we've got yechas, we said we are shining diamonds. There was a certain teacher who was teaching Yiddishkeit to a group of students. And she was trying to explain the, the basics of Yiddishkeit and Hashem and the world and Jews, etc. So one student raised her hand. She said, but excuse me, but I don't believe in God. The teacher answered, but God believes in you.
Hashem believes in us. Hashem loves us. More than any parent loves his children, and we can't even imagine anything greater than that. You know, there are certain advice given to us how we can be zoiche in this din. How can we merit in the din? But first and foremost, we have to have what is called a matadin. We've got to have pachadadin. We've got to really realize that we are going in a week's time to be judged. It's for real. It's not play-play. It's not philosophy. It's a reality. And I'll tell you a story that is documented that happened at the time of the Rashash and the great Makubolim. Two ladies arrived in Shulon, Lel Rosh Hashanah, and uh, they were very well-known, prestigious ladies, and they had booked seat in the front row in the shul. And they both arrived at their seat, but lo and behold, the seat had two names on it. One seat, two names. Now, it's not going to work out, are they? are not going to both be able to sit on the same chair. Uh, well, must be some error. They weren't quite sure what to do. They said, well, they, <laughs> it's uncomfortable. But they'll find the gabai. It'll, it'll be sorted out. They find the gabai. And uh, the gabai starts looking at the papers, and, and he starts sweating. He says, I don't know how this happened. I just can't figure out how this happened. But I have no other seats of parallel to this in the front row or even anything close to this. I just don't know what to do to help you. Look, for, for now, for tonight, uh, I can sort this out for tonight. Because um, I have, not everyone comes to Shul on a Rosh Hashanah night. So for tonight, I can give you both, yeah, one with this seat, and I can give you a parallel a seat in the front row, a good seat. But for tomorrow, you, you two ladies will just have to sort it out. I, I haven't got Nates. I haven't got any advice. I don't know how to help you. Okay. For the night prayers finished, they both had a decent seat for them. Now they go home. The one lady has a dream. And in her dream, she's in the Shamaim, in the heavens. And she's in a kind of very quiet place. No noise. When suddenly there's some noise, she looks up and she sees a whole lot of wagons come along. And on these wagons, there are all kinds of shapes and sizes of white malochim, white angels. Tall ones, fat ones, thin ones. Yeah, all kinds of shapes and sizes. We know that. The reward for mitzvahs comes in different sizes, malochim, that we create, right? So she sees them all traveling, and they're going. She kind of follows to see, and they come to a big clearing. In this big clearing, there's a huge, big scale. And these white malochim, these white angels, start climbing up on the one side of the scale. Hmm. So she sees it looks like some kind of judgment. So she asks, uh, uh, well, uh, who's being judged here? It's quite an interesting sight. They answer her, you. Oh, now she's starting to panic because now she sees the white ones are finished coming and now come wagons with black ones. And they're coming one after another and they white, the black malochim start climbing up on the other side of the scale and it's going heavier and heavier and she's sweating and she's, she's panicking. It's getting, it's getting much too low for comfort on the black side. And then she hears, they call out, were there, we want now, the, were there any Yisurim? 
Were there any suffering? And she watches and she sees the malach goes to, in charge of suffering, comes back with a whole wagon full of other different kind of malachim. And they're weighed on a different scale. And according to their weight, black malachim are taken off the black scale, the black side. So it's getting to look much better and more going off. And it's coming, it's not yet there, but it's looking much better. It's still not there, though, and she's very, very scared. And then there's a cruise goes out. There's a, another voice is heard to say, bring the malach of anisyoinus, bring the malach of challenges. And she watches the action, and she sees a malach going along, and she watches from above. She sees this malach going off, down to earth, into the shul, putting two names on one chair. She realizes that this is it. This is going to make it. With this Nisoyan was sent as a tester, and she, she, she's going to make it with this Nisoyan. She wakes up, shouting, I forgo, I forgo, I forgo. Yeah, she's forgoing on the, on the front line seat, and she can't wait for Shul. She's the first person there. She rushes up to the Gaba and says, I want the bad seat. I want the bad. The other seat was at the very back, very bad place. I want the bad seat. This is recorded at the time of the Rashash. He's on fairy tales. So comprehending a matadim, Rav Yisrael Salanti used to go every era of Rosh Hashanah to a court to watch how they judge a person. So we really have to realize we really talk business. So when we come to lighting our candles on Erev Rosh Hashanah, when we come to taking in the Yontif, we have to come there with an understanding that we really have nothing. What we had yesterday, wealth and wealth and whatever we had, is of no relevance for tomorrow. Everything starts anew and there are no chazokas. Because I had yesterday so much in the bank that I'll have tomorrow. Because you had health yesterday. No chazokas. Everything is from you. And this is a tremendous principle so we are, trust Hashem will never get rid of Am Yisrael. We'll always be there. But every individual has to recognize this emat hadin, has to have this pachad hadin, the recognition that there really is going to be a din. Now, on top of this pachad hadin, emat hadin, now we can have bitochon. We can trust that Hashem loves us and he's merciful, and he wants to judge us well, and he'll look for any possibility to judge us in a beautiful fashion. I'll tell you an amazing story, the true story happened in Yerushalayim some 12 years ago. There was a lady who was marrying off her last child. He was a chosan. Ah, oh, she had a big family. This is the last child. The sense of joy was just overwhelming. And uh, she made the engagement party in her house, and all the neighbors came to say Mazel Tov. But when everyone left, something niggled her. There was one neighbor who didn't come in to say Mazel Tov. And it was obvious she wouldn't come. These, they had never spoken for 20 years. They were brogues. They had a feribel that nobody quite remembered what it was about, but they hadn't been speaking, no contact for 20 years in the same building. So she determined... This won't do. Her joy is so great. She's just got to make a Kiddush Hashem. She's got to make friends with this neighbor. She's just going to do it. So she determined. The minute the invitations are ready, she's going to take the first invitation that comes 
She's going to go downstairs and knock at that door that she hasn't knocked for 20 years and invite the lady to come to the wedding. She can't wait. The invitations come. She picks up the first invitation. She dashes downstairs. She knocks on the door. The neighbor didn't know how to eat it, but she, you know, I was sorry, and we were hugged and kissed, and everything was wonderful. She said, I came to invite you to, to my wedding. She gives her the invitation, all beautiful. Then the woman looks at the invitation. She says, sees there that, that the, I'm sorry, she said, I, I really would love to come to this wedding, but I'm sorry, I have to have a minor operation in that week, so I, I'll be in hospital. I won't be able to attend, but with all my uh, blessings, etc. Thank you for inviting. Thank you for the making sure. I'm beautiful. Okay. Neighbor went back upstairs. It should be the end of the story, but it's only the beginning. It's a true story. The woman went upstairs. She wasn't happy enough. This was very nice. She made Shalom. No, the whole town knew that they were brogues, that there was a feribel, that they were not talking for 20 years. She, so she wanted to make a Kiddush Hashem, a sanctification of God's name by dancing. To, she should really be shtate, dancing with her at the wedding. This wasn't good enough. She decided she's going to do something about it. And the only thing to do would be change the wedding date. There are invitations already. There's a son, there's a future daughter-in-law, there's a caterer, there's a photographer, there's the band. It's a kind of wild thing to do. She's determined. She's cooked up a whole case. Her son walks in. And with a deep breath, she starts giving her whole story to know how to eat it. He sees his mother's really determined about this. She says, look, I'm asking just ask the girl, ask the color, is she willing Explain to her the situation. I really want this neighbor to be able to come. I'll take all the expenses, the, 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 whatever it is for the new invitations and whatever else we incur here. Please ask her. No, he sees his mother really wants this. The boy asks the girl, and lo and behold, the girl agrees. No problem. And everything. New photography, new, <laughs> everything new. Everything's fixed up, new invitations, and now this lady just can't wait again, those invitations. The first one she's going downstairs with. She didn't tell anyone about this. The invitations arrive. She gallops downstairs. The lady opens the door now. They're great friends again, yeah? She says, yeah, look. I changed the wedding date. It's a new invitation. Throw away the old one. You're the only one who got it. Yeah. She looks at it. She says, I can't believe it. You changed the wedding date for me? She says, yes, I want you to come. After these 20 years, I want you to come and be Mishtatev, to join in the Simcha and to dance at the wedding with you. She's overwhelmed. They hug, they kiss, and she says, of course I'll be there. On the day that the wedding was supposed to have taken place, the wedding hall in the wedding hall, it was booked to happen. The floor caved in, which then caved in the ceiling of another hall. Many people were killed, and many people were injured. It was Ulamot Versailles. This is a true story. So we see this woman did beyond the letter of the law, beyond the absolute necessity to make friends. But we see Hashem when we are mevat, when we are of and when we overcome our character traits and we do things of this nature, Hashem sends miracles, niflois, to us. Hashem then is able to over and judge us 
in a way that is full of mercy. So one of the answers given is being over alamidas. It's a well-known story that happened with Rav Chaim Kanievsky. A lady came and asked for a brocha to have a child. And he said, what you must do is get a brocha from somebody who keeps her mouth shut when there's a fight. Because it says, torle eretz al blima. Blima means to keep quiet. Blima, without anything. You take down your covert, your honor, to nothing land. That's what it means, blima. Keep quiet. When you get insulted, not to answer. So that's what the Rav said. Where is she going to find such a lady? Hashem sent her a lady. A little while later at a bar mitzvah, she saw some lady screaming at some other lady. And the other lady, uh, for no reason, it was very apparent from what she was saying, that, for, and uh, she rushed up to the lady who was getting screamed at. She said, please don't answer, don't answer. Said, I'll explain later. Anyway, when she finished, the other lady's harangue, she asked her for a blessing for a child, and she told her what Rav Chaim had said to her. And uh, obviously, a year later, there was a child. Tole Eretz al-Blima. This is Avodat Midot. This is following and copying the attributes of Hashem to the, uh, our best ability, and we all aren't using all our abilities. They say most people use about 15% of their potential. So we've got lots to go, lots to achieve. So Avodat Midot is, uh, is an issue that is the real catch, the real catch of getting Midat Adin to come, and it doesn't only fall on the person himself, it falls the Shefa from the Shamaim, the good that Hashem sends is to the whole world. And then, if we did something good, it comes that we're also Mazakia Rabim, because we brought good to the whole world by our good action that brought down Chesed. Hashem only wants to give good to the world. And if we are a cause for good to be brought to the world, it's a, it's a tremendous chus that uh, we get, as we, we, we called already then, Mezakeh Rabim. Our job then is, we've got one job, to crown HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Keter Melucha. And the way to do that is, Ein Od Milvado. Those three words, hang them all over the house, on your heart, inside your heart, all over to remember. So if somebody comes along, as was mentioned, and gets on your nerves and does something that agitates you, remember that person is only a stick. There's someone who holds the stick. Anything that happens to us, any form of difficulty, it's all minashamayim and all for our good. Nobody has the ability to hurt us unless it was sent by Hashem as a nisoyon to us. So Einod Milvado is the principle that when we recognize that there is only Hashem, that recognition is what Hashem is waiting for. That is what Hashem wants from us, to recognize him and this, in this way crown him. If you follow the tefillahs on Rosh Hashanah, they're all about crowning Hashem as the king, and that is the way in which we crown him. So our job is, our ASIC is, and so when we're davening, don't forget to pray. Don't worry about ourselves. That's obvious. Daven for Hashem. Daven for the kingdom of Hashem. Daven for Malchut Beit David. For the kingdom of Moshiach. Daven for Beis HaMikdash. May it be that 
us together with all of Klal Israel should be zoiche, should merit a ksiva v'chasima toiva, a year of blessing and a year of the gula shlema b'mhera v'yameinah.